So, um, welcome, first. We're glad that you're here. Secondly, take your Bible and go to the book of Philippians. And we'll be there sooner or later. And thirdly, I want you to go while you're turning to the book of Philippians, I want you to go with me to a passage of scripture in one of the gospels where Jesus has sent his disciples on to the other side of the lake, which is the Sea of Galilee, as we would call it. And uh, he stays behind to pray, scripture tells us. And then somewhere in the middle of the night, he sees that they are toiling against the storm. And so he begins to make his way across the lake to them, walking on the water. And as he gets closer to them, the disciples see him coming and in true Baptist fashion say, surely it's a ghost. (laughs) Jesus begins to speak to them from that. And one of those disciples, Simon Peter, says something to this effect, Lord, if it's really you, call out to me and I'll come to you. Now, that's a challenging passage anyway for us, but uh, I want you to put yourself in the boat with those other disciples. Because those other disciples were fully uh, familiar with Simon Peter, the big mouth Baptist disciple. And so I can't help but believe that as Simon Peter says, hey, just call to me and I'll come out there to where you are, the other disciples must have been throwing elbows going, yeah, right. Sure you will, Simon Peter. And uh, so, you know, the elbows as they go are probably accompanied with these kind of statements like, let's just see now. And then Jesus responds to him saying, okay, come on out. In other words, Jesus calls his bluff. All right, come on out. And now the other disciples, if they're like you and me, are now snickering between themselves. Uh huh. Now you did it. Now you put yourself in a position where you can't win. Simon Peter steps over the bow of the boat and begins walking on the water to Jesus. Can you imagine being one of the other disciples in the boat at that point? conflicted. Oh man, I always wanted to do that, but I don't have the guts that it takes to step over the bow. So what I want to do today is I want to challenge our thinking just a tad. Here's a truth for us that we should hold on to. And it is this truth that there are those times when God so moves us that he puts us or allows us into a position where we now have to act on what we say we believe. How long has it been since God took you to a whole new level? Because when he gets us into those positions that I'm talking about, everything changes. Imagine Simon Peter five minutes before they saw Jesus coming at them and five years after he got out of the boat and walked on the water. Everything changed in that moment for him. So how long has it been since God took you to a whole new level? Carrie, won't you come on up if you will. Carrie Hoy is uh, one of those people of our church who is about to abandon us. 
She's going off to college. She's been gone all summer. And uh, one of the places to which she went this summer, um, I think you can take Brian's microphone there, okay? Uh, you'll have to sing like he does if you use that one, though. So, um, And so part of Carrie's summer trip was a trip to Munich. And most of us are aware of Munich because it's been in the news since she got home. Uh, but she got one of those statements from the Lord. And I think it's one of those things where everything changes. And so I told her that she could have up to five minutes. She said she could talk the rest of the time. Um, and so whatever time you take is fine. But I asked her specifically to answer this question among whatever else she's going to tell us. What did God teach you this summer? Okay. Hi. Um, okay. Uh, hi, I'm Carrie, um, and I recently went on a mission trip to Munich, Germany. Uh, some of you know, a few months ago, over 13,000 people from Iraq and Syria and several other Middle Eastern countries were forced out of their homeland and into Munich, uh, creating an overwhelming need for ministry. Uh, one thing God began teaching me in Germany, and he's still teaching me now, uh, was one of our core values, and that's ancient work. God allows us to join in on his ancient work. Uh, he made me realize that we weren't bringing God to Germany. He was already there, and he has been. Uh, and we weren't starting anything, nor are we finishing anything. Uh, God blessed uh, my trek's location with hundreds of those refugees I was talking about. However, he had a different plan for my trek. Uh, the work God had for us was to pray. Uh, we prayed over the park. We prayed over the people. We prayed that uh, cultural barriers and walls would be broken down and that uh, their hearts would be open to what God is doing. Uh, ultimately, preparing our park for his harvest. Missions is not God's ancient work. Prayer is God's ancient work. What's the point in all of the effort if we can't even go to God and admit that we can't do this without him? So it may sound silly for us to fly all the way to another country just to prayer walk around a park, but prayer walking is praying on site with insight. So just imagine you're walking in a park and you see someone and you just start praying, Father, I ask that you would be with them. I ask that you would make them feel empty inside. I ask that while they're worshiping their idols, that they would realize that their gods can't hear them. They can't see them. They can't respond to them. And they don't know them by their name. Father, create a longing in their heart for you and a hunger for your love. Make yourself known to them. We got to pray for people who probably have never been prayed for before. Although we may not have gotten to be a part of his harvest just yet, we are being obedient by trusting him and aligning ourselves with his agenda. I just want to thank y'all all for supporting me, whether it's financially or just through prayer. Uh, God taught me so much, and uh, but the power of prayer was definitely one of them. Uh, it's something I will have for the rest of my life and definitely prepared me as I go off to college.
So here's the reality of those times when God teaches you something or takes you to a place that is new for you. It has to register. And it has to register deep within you because God purposely allows you or takes you to that point because he's moving you forward. So consider back with me to those disciples in that boat on the Sea of Galilee and for Simon Peter, but really not just for Simon Peter, all of those disciples then from that point forward had a point of reference that they knew something new about Jesus that they didn't know before. And everything changed with that. How long has it been since God took you to a new level? I asked that question in a sermon on July the 3rd, 2005. In the midst of that sermon, as I asked that question, it is as if time stopped for me, the heavens opened, and God specifically gave me a statement relative to my life and where it was going from that point forward. Everything changed for me. So today... The question of the hour is, how long has it been since God took you to a new level? In Philippians chapter 3, we find Paul speaking into what really is something of the subject matter of our summer preaching series here. I've entitled the series Pillars, and those pillars represent values that we adopt as a church, either we have adopted them or we should adopt them. And those pillars together, the values that we're speaking of, combine together to create a culture in our church that affirms the identity that we have as children of Christ. Now, just to make sure that we're on top of this, the identity that we affirm is not one that we dream up for ourselves. As a matter of fact, our identity is already laid out for us in Scripture when Jesus says to his disciples and through the centuries that extends to us, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, he says to us. And then Paul will pick up that theme later and he will say that we are ambassadors for Christ. That is our identity. And so the culture that we have that is shaped by the values that we embrace, that culture needs to contribute to that identity. And so many churches, so many churches deny their identity because they embrace a set of values that creates a culture that works against the gospel, not for it. And so we rehearse those and we work our way through them this summer as we seek to be all that God has intended us to be. And so, welcome back to the series. And in the welcome back, I want to take us backwards at first, just for a little bit as we see what Paul has to say here. But after we rehearse a little bit what was the one from two weeks ago, then we're going to add a couple of more, a couple of others to those today. So we start back where we were, which is that reality, that pillar, that value that says we are going somewhere. We're on the grow, we're on the move, and I don't want us to fall into the trap that thinks that, oh, that means that we're trying to grow, we're trying to get more people, or we're trying to get more buildings. This growth is spiritual growth. This is spiritual formation from the inside individually, but also corporately for us. 
And so we start there today. It's a recap, if you will. And we find Paul embracing this in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Here's what he says. Not that I have already obtained this. Okay, so I know that we're jumping into the middle of his thought here. And I'll go back and pick up some of the others in just a moment. But Paul starts by saying, I I haven't achieved all of this. We haven't talked about what the all of this is yet, but he gives us a little bit of an insight into that next statement. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. The word there is complete or we would say mature. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to stop the reading there for just a moment and make a couple of quick references. It's interesting that Paul would say, I have not obtained this. Now, the this that he's talking about, might we might kind of stretch it and say, well, he's talking about being mature, but that's really a little foreign to what he's saying, even though that's the end result. What he's talking about here is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about your New Testament, if you read any of Paul's writings in the New Testament, you will know that Paul knows a lot about Jesus Christ. But his point here is not the head knowledge stuff. His point is, I I need to know, we all need to know, we each need to know the fullness of Jesus Christ. Go back to that boat on the Sea of Galilee that we started talking about earlier. Those disciples knew Jesus, or at least part of him. They certainly knew him well enough to identify him well In a storm in the middle of the night, they confused him for a ghost, but they still at least recognized his voice enough. Most of us are like that. We know who Jesus is. We have the the facts down, if you will. Paul had the facts down. Paul must be speaking of something much more intense, much more internal here. When he says, I haven't obtained this. There are still areas of this knowledge of Jesus Christ that I know that I need to grow into. And so then he says, and I'm pushing forward. Paul's point matches that value that we talked about before. And that is that we are going somewhere. We are growing. We know that there is room for us to grow. His point continues in this as he says... Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And the picture here we will see replayed for us now in the coming two or three weeks. Because by the time we get to next Sunday, it will be the opening day or days of the 2016 Summer Olympics. And if you're prone to watch those at all, you will notice in that first week, normally in the uh, the Summer Olympics, the first week is given over to the swimming events. And you will see people like Michael Phelps, who goes to be, again, just add to his total of gold medals as an Olympian. And we see him time after time, year after year, Olympics after Olympics, as he stretches through the water and reaches to cut hundreds of a second off of his time by touching the wall as quickly as possible. 
That's the picture here. We will see in the second week, if it's like normal, those sprinters on the track. Not the marathon runners who just fall across the finish line. These sprinters push and they get all they can to cut hundreds of a second off of their time and hopefully defeat their uh, competitors that way. That's the picture. Paul says, everything that is in me, I, I, I just focus in. In other words, he says, I'm still growing. Are you? Growing, that is. I, I know that this is review from a couple of weeks ago, but, but we have to start here today. Are you still growing as a Christian? Do you find yourself today in the same spiritual summer doldrums that have marked your life? Or is every day fresh as you find more and more about who Jesus is and what he offers for you in life? I like what two different guys have had to say about this whole process of growing this value that we adopt as a church that says we are not going to be content with setting back and just kind of mellowing out in our faith. Hawthorne says this, to know the incomprehensible greatness of Christ demands a lifetime of arduous inquiry. In other words, this process of which Paul is speaking in Philippians is one that is work, but it's not just a couple of days of spiritual work. It is a lifetime process for us. Maybe the guy that we recognize a little more readily is the guy Martin Luther who said it this way, the Christian life is more one of becoming pious than of being pious. Martin Luther, to be sure, knew much about Christ. But he captures for us the lifelong task of knowing Christ. Let me, let me see if I can boil this down onto the bottom shelf of how we operate. I, I want to put it on a church context. Because after all, we're talking about church values here. But just remember that the whole is actually greater than the sum of the parts. And so what we find in this discussion is that each of us individually need to be on the grow and, and, and on the move, if you will. But ultimately, as we talk about the culture that our church creates, sometimes that culture is created by group decisions. So the church that I served before I came here, deep in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, way down near Brownsville, right along the Rio Grande River. Mexico was just a dozen or so miles away. Uh, I had a conversation this week with somebody about that church and uh, trying to des describe that church and its financial makeup. And, and we use terms uh, like white collar or blue collar. And, and maybe the best way for me to capture the way that church was put together as far as the demographics of that church was that was a no collar church. It was a church that was marked with a, a, a large number of families who worked and lived below the poverty level for the United States, very poor region. And so when that church found itself in a situation where it desperately needed to replace some of the space they had, 
Here's a case in point. When I went to that church as youth minister back around the turn of the last century, um, we went there and the youth meeting space was upstairs on the second floor of a building that was, there was another building exactly like that one and then a one-story building next to it. All three of those buildings had been army barracks for World War II troops. And because they weren't fashioned in such a way to be able to handle a second story, what they did is they took the first stories, jacked them up, and then built walls underneath it. And so when I was there, those buildings, wood frame buildings, they were nasty. Oh, they were nasty. And they were 40-something years old, hadn't been maintained. And that church had a fraction of the budget that this church has at the time. And yet they needed space. And so the church began to have this discussion about, okay, so we need to replace this stuff. Now, you just need to know that when my dad went there as pastor before I was there, uh, he went in and they had financed one building and he had been there a couple of weeks when the savings and loan that owed, uh, owned the note on that building called him and said, hey, we need all of the money for this, you need to pay us everything that's due today. And my dad, the pastor then said, we can't pay it. This, that church at that time couldn't hardly pay salaries. And so the savings and loan people said, well, if you don't pay us, then we're going to repossess your building. To which my dad said, you better come get your building then. The church did not have financial resource like we know here. And so the discussion then, we've got to replace these buildings that we have. We don't have the money to do it. So they went into this time where the leadership began to talk about it and pray about it together. And they came out of that discussion with a, a message, a word from God that said essentially this. You need new buildings, but you're not to borrow money to get them. So what do you do with that? So the church got together about that. Let me, let me change the question a little bit. When Jesus says to you, do you know me well enough to trust me to get out of the boat and walk on the water? Can you do that? So in this case, that church, fully believing that God had told them you need new buildings, but you're not to borrow money for that, they began to move towards we're going to gather the money. I like to say it this way. We're going to start stacking up money in order to do what God called us to do. Now remember, this is not a blue-collar church. This is a no-collar church. And I happened to get there in the process of all of that, and by the time I became senior pastor there in 1999, I was in on the latter probably two-thirds of the process. And over a time frame from the mid-'90s until 2011 when I left there, that church did about one and three quarter million dollars worth of building work, paying cash for it all along. Now the reason that it happened that way is because, first of all, that church decided to hear what God had to say to them. That church decided to take God at his word and that church then began to trust what God had said. And we watch God do incredible stuff 
He started blessing the businesses of the people who attended that church. He started sending money. I kid you not, I got a phone call one day. Somebody said, hey, we got this building over here. We understand that it belongs to y'all. We don't want it. And so here it goes. Within a few hours, we also got a phone call from the local University of Texas school there saying, hey, we understand this property is yours. We want to buy it from you. $100,000 just like that. Didn't even know the church owned that property. Here's the deal with that. How long has it been since God took us as a church to a place that we never even dreamed was there? Sometimes God says, okay, get out of the boat. That's one of the guys I was talking to after the early service today. He said, you know, sometimes God says, get in the boat. Okay, however you want to say it, let's just say it this way. Sometimes God says, come with me because I'm taking you to a place you can't even believe. We're growing spiritually. That's the value that we build from here. But let's take it another step now because there's a built-in problem that we have. Even when we are committed to the value that says we are on the move, we are growing spiritually, individually, and as a group, we we have this built-in problem. And the built-in problem is that we are part of a Western society that says the individual is king. You can do this, is what our society says. It's unfortunate. I guess there's some value to it. It's hard to say anything's totally wrong without knowing where God is in it. But uh, our society just magnifies and celebrates the power of an individual. You see the news reports last week? I don't speak Russian. Uh, I don't even do a, a decent imitation of a Russian. So let me just give you the guy's first name. It's F-E-D-O-R. I'll call him Fred. 64-year-old Russian who, not this past week, but the week before, finished his 11-day solo circumnavigation of the globe in a hot air balloon. Or in a balloon. I guess it was hot air. I don't know. But uh, he, he went out to do this because he wanted to break the record of the guy who had it before him, a guy named Steve Fawcett. Many of us will remember him from the 2002 time frame, basically, when he went out to set this new record by themselves, crawling into the gondola of a balloon and going around the world. He did it in 12 and a half days. That wasn't good enough for the Russian Fred. And so he did it in 11 days. Here's a good question for you. Why? Well, partially, and the reason it makes our news is because we celebrate the individual. And if we're not careful, that begins to seep into, matter of fact, that doesn't just begin to, it has done that full-blown in our churches. Because we begin to push out this idea of we're growing so that we begin to handle it like it's just an individual thing. Like it's just, it's my deal. And so even in our churches, we, we line people up and we say, okay, here's how you study your Bible. I've done that many times. I still will continue to do that, but I want to keep it balanced. But we say, here's some tools, study your Bible. And then we send you home and say, okay, are you doing your Bible study? And then that we realize, well, there's more to it than that. So we want to teach people how to pray. So we start doing that. We teach them nice little canned prayers. 
And then we send people home to the solitude of their own homes and say, now grow. And while I don't want to dismiss that totally, I do want to say there's got to be some balance in all of that. Because this whole idea of being an individual and only an individual, even when it comes to spiritual growth, just doesn't work. Look what Eugene Peterson says. Individualism is the growth-stunting, maturity-inhibiting habit of understanding growth as an isolated self-project. I'll just go to my room, I'll block off the world, and I'll grow into this great saint of God. We have entire movements through church history that believe that was the case, or at least sort of. Monks, desert fathers, desert mothers, who just just detach totally from the world and go out and say, okay, I'll just, me and God, do this thing called life. So that pushes me to this Next value. Let's get two more on the table here quickly. Not only do we need to build that attitude here and the value that says that we are growing, we also need to embrace the one that says that we are growers also. See, the idea here is, I'm going to throw the the next one out here with it. Not just are we growers, we're, we're growing, we're growers, but we also say there are no lone rangers here. Now, many of you are too young to know the old TV series, but uh, maybe you saw the movie that came out with Johnny Depp in it a while back. The, the Lone Ranger, this guy who just does his own thing, we say that we don't do Lone Ranger stuff here. I'll pull all of those three together and say it this way. We need each other. And one of the values that we must have, the pillar on which we hold to our identity, a culture grows from this, is the one that says we're in this together. We need each other. We certainly need to do personal, individual growth, but in the the end of the day, we need one another in order to get this right. Paul, Paul models this for us. It's easy for us to just look at what we've read in Philippians 3 and say, yeah, but Paul said, you know, he's, he's talking about himself there. Yeah, but Paul also wrote half of the New Testament in the specific purpose of growing other people. Even the book of Philippians is written to a group of people for him to say, hey, here's some things that will help you grow in Christ. So one of the hallmarks for us as a church, is that we intend to be growers. And this is where it gets messy. It gets messy because what I'm saying now involves a certain amount of accountability. You you see, one of the frustrating things about people is that people seem to default to um, a competition. And this is no competition. This is a community that we're talking about. And in order for the community to work well, we have to be able as individuals, but as a community together, we have to embrace this idea that says, I need to invest my life in you, and I need to let you Okay, you hear how I use that? I need to let you invest your life in me. 
But we get that wrong in a lot of different ways. I'll try to hit a couple of those real quick, but I really want to stay on the, on the positive side of this thing. The reality is that we have no lone rangers. We are growers as much as we're growing, and so we need each other to help us move forward. Here's the question for you. Who is it that you allow to speak into your life and hold you accountable? Are there people that you say, you know what? Uh, even if I don't want to hear it, I'm going to let you say to me things that help me grow. That's hard to do. Have a situation. I'll just play it out for you. I'm not going to tell you how I responded to this guy, but I'll use myself as the, as the guinea pig here. Um, uh, almost a year ago now, I started having health issues tied to my back and viral infection and all of that kind of stuff that affected my leg. Uh, and the pain of that was such that my neurosurgeon started throwing drugs at me, uh, legally, but nonetheless throwing drugs at me. And you know enough of my background, uh, before I was a minister and had substance abuse problems, and so it was about the time that I was trying to get the medications right that I got a phone call from one of the men of this church, and he said, hey, can I buy some drugs? No, that's what, sorry, that's a different. Um, he said this. He said, listen, uh, I want to know how you're doing. So I started into this discussion about how I was doing with my leg and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was really not a good outlook at that particular time. And, and so I finished that discussion. He said, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking. He said, I want to know how you're doing. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, I know your past history with substance abuse. And you've told us that your physician is giving you narcotic pain. He said, I want to know how you're doing with that struggle. And so I hung up on him. No, I didn't. I'm not going to tell you how the conversation went from there. I want to tell you how it should go. When confronted with that reality, the right answer for me would have been, you know what, I appreciate you asking. I appreciate you caring enough about me and about our church and about my wife that you would ask me and hold me accountable that even though it's a legitimate use, it would not be abused. That's the picture here. You see, we need each other because you have weak spots just like the preacher has weak spots and you have areas that you need to grow just like the preacher has areas that he needs to grow and if, oh, you need to really hear me now because this is one of those areas where our society around us has sold us a bill of goods and it's killing our churches. Here's the deal. If I don't give you freedom to talk to me in that kind of loving way because I'm going to get offended then I block the opportunity for you to help me grow you know I, I hope you know I love you I've heard the word offended more in the five years I've lived here than the 50 years I lived before I ever got here we are a sensitive people. And so here's the messy part of this. As we invest our lives in one another, we need to stop with the defensiveness 
And adopt a mentality. This is going to be one of the other values that we get to sooner or later about trusting one another. But it all comes from that umbrella that we talked about before. You remember the first one? People matter. So treat them like they matter. So when I say to you, I give you freedom. Now, I'm not giving you the freedom just so you know. But if you're listening, if I say to you, I give you the freedom to say, hey, I think this is a blind spot. There's some growth that needs to happen. You also need to give me the freedom to say, well, that may be true. Let's talk about that because maybe there's something about me that you don't know that's going on there. But the reality is if we don't have that conversation, then we decide we're not going to help each other grow. And so we just reach this static level of no growth. We stay in the boat. And Jesus is walking around out there going, man, if you would just come with me and just trust me, I'll show you things about life in community that would blow your mind. So we, we move here as a church. Our, our intent is to have this value, this pillar that says, well, there's three of them. I'll just get them all right here back to back. One of them says, people matter. So we're going to treat them like they matter. And that means that as we say also we're growing, then that also means that we're going to be growers as well. And so you invest in me and I invest in you. And together we're investing in the kingdom. And it becomes an environment where people blossom spiritually. I'll give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about and we'll be done. First one, I introduce you to a friend of mine named Al. Uh, For a while now, I've been throwing things that are in my office out onto the table for you to, so if you ever come in my office, you see stuff there, you'll know most of that stuff has a story to it, means something to me. So one of the things that you'll see in my office is a model of a sailing ship, you know, the old... uh, previous centuries kind, you know, ocean going with the big sails and everything all over them. And so I have this model of one up on top of one of my bookshelves. Uh, That's there because Al gave it to me. I met Al uh, because his daughters started coming to our church to the youth group that was there. And uh, so Al was going through some rough stuff in his family and he was looking for something where his kids would plug in. And so he started coming to our church and uh, he came by the office one day, and we sat down, we started talking, and in the process, it became one of those standing appointments for me week after week after week for a long time uh, because I was counseling with him. At least that's what it was at first, and then I realized after a period of time that he had been counseling me in some areas. Critical time in my own development, in the life of that church, we had hit some, some difficult times. I was a young senior pastor. And Al came in and started talking to me about being captain of the ship. And over a period of time, that that discussion grew legs and and it began to form me. This guy sold chemicals for a living. I mean, you know, like to car washes and uh, that, that kind of thing. That's what he did. But he had an incredible spiritual maturity about him that I found challenging and refreshing. And so week after week, he would come in and we would pray together and we'd talk together. 
And he began to challenge me about not just being the captain of the ship of that church, but to be a good captain of the ship. And so right before I moved to come here, he showed up one day with that model and he said, uh, I don't want you to forget. Always remember. Be a good captain. Now, whether you think I'm a good captain or not is beside the point. It's the way he helped me grow that is the point. Who do you have in your life who challenges you like that? Who is it that you've given permission to, to call it what it is with you? You know, here's one of the messy things about this. Typically, we surround ourselves and give that, to permi- get that permission to people who are no further progressed spiritually than we are. And so what it does, it becomes an echo chamber, and they say the same thing to us that we're thinking anyway, so we think we're growing, but actually we're just kind of treading water. Who is it in your life who has the maturity that you trust them to tell you the truth even if they know that it's going to hurt you. If my granddaughter came to my house and she started playing with something that I knew could kill her, would it be loving for me to just to let her go and say, well, you know, she'll figure it out for herself. That's not acceptable. And yet many churches adopt a culture that says, well, they'll figure it out. We need each other. We need each other so that we can become better, more like Christ. So one other example of what I'm talking about, and I'll be done. Brian, you can come on up. <clears throat> Spent a good part of the day yesterday with my parents. They came over, um, and we got to spend a few hours with them anyway. And um, we were talking about some things and uh, particularly uh, this individual. Uh, some of you would know her. She's a friend of ours from down in the valley, that church there. Uh, her name is Vanessa. Now, I happen to know that she listens to these sermons on our podcast. And so, Vanessa, pay attention to driving while you're hearing this and know that I love you. <laughs> Vanessa is a close friend of ours. I would say she's one of those people who have been adopted into our family. She's more of a sister to me than anything, I think. And she's at the church down there. She's a leader in the church we came from. Uh, she helps to keep my son in check down there. Uh, but, but as we were talking about her and her position of leadership as a spiritual leader in that church there, um, she's a business owner. She's not a minister in the professional sense. But um, I started flashing back to the time when she first started going to that church. It was actually during the time when we weren't part of the church. We were in New Mexico and we came back. And, and this young lady, uh, I think it was recently married at the time, began attending our young married people's Sunday school class in that church. It was taught by my mother. And so my mother began to pour herself into Vanessa. And over the years, and we've eventually moved back to that church, and so she started taking our kids, you know, horseback riding and some of those kind of things, and 
you know, just family, friends kind of thing. But I, I watched as my mother poured herself into that young lady. And it's been a long time ago now. And so that young lady has gotten to be a not as young lady and a spiritual giant, in my opinion, anyway. And so now she is a spiritual leader in that church. Now, that's how church ought to work. It ought to be such where people come in and somebody, somebody's began to invest in them because not only are they growing as individuals, they're growers. And then that person grows until in the end, that person becomes the grower. That's how a church stays relevant. That's how a church grows. That's how a church matters in the lives of its people. So the question as I close is, are you growing? Are you allowing people to grow you, to be influencing into your life? Are you investing your life in somebody else? Here's two real quick truths for you. First of all, if you intend to be a grower, hear this. You cannot take somebody where you have not been already. So you have to be growing in this. That's one of the things. Here's the other one. Uh, That is that love, not convenience, but love is what drives this investment. People are going to need you to speak into their situation when it's least convenient for you. But love says, I'm there. Love says, I got you. In the best sense of the word. So how is it with you? Let's pray. So Lord, we ask you to take this time and these words and make them true for us. May we have a culture that promotes growth. Would you please raise some spiritual giants from our midst? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.